Hello and welcome back to the Drinker's Gridiron. We have a very special episode for you today. Not only is it our Christmas episode, so Merry Christmas to everybody, but it is also the week where the Seattle Seahawks take on the Tennessee Titans. Ivan, can you give me your best? See. No, because that's just not right. What do you mean? It's it's just it's just not. There's something fundamentally wrong about me saying that. Ah, that's all right. I mean, you like cheering for bad teams. That's okay. But have, do you think you're on Santa's goodness good list or naughty list this year? I should hope the good list, but the the nice list. Yeah, I should hope I'm on the nice list. I mean. You've suffered through so much with the Tennessee Titans because they're dog shit. But anyways, what's what's this what's what's this drink that you that this you drink that I've made? Me? This drink that I've made. Well, this drink right here, actually, if you look closely, its color palette can like be used to combine the ugly ass lime green of your alternate jerseys. Oh, yeah. This is a candy cane margarita. Ooh, yeah. Lots of ingredients here, actually. You need six ounces of cranberry juice, two ounces of tequila, white preferably, one and a half ounces of orange liqueur, two drops of peppermint extract, an unknown amount of raspberry soda water, a tablespoon of crushed candy canes, a candy cane just whole on its own for a garnish, a lime wedge, some sugar, and some ice. Wow. I skipped the lime wedge and sugar because sugar is in short supply nowadays, and making this drink would have cost me 14 extra dollars. So if you're a normal human being and you're making this drink, you're going to want to run that lime wedge along the rim of your glass and dip it in some sugar, you know, make it all look pretty. You throw your ice cubes in, and this is where things get fun. Pull out a cocktail shaker, add some ice to that, and then you throw in your cranberry juice, your tequila, your orange liqueur, and your peppermint extract, and you're going to want to shake it vigorously, real vigorously. Pour it over the ice, top it off with that soda water, sprinkle some crushed candy cane on top, and throw a candy cane in there for a garnish. Because why the hell not? I mean, who doesn't love choking on things when they're trying to drink? I mean, you guys are the master chokers, but let's take a sip. You know what? That is actually very good. It actually is. And it's a nice, subtle drink. That's what I really like about it. There's nothing that's really too punchy. You get the nice flavor of the tequila mixed with all of the sweetness from the cranberry juice and um, the candy cane. Really, this is just a really nice, refreshing drink. I think, if anything, maybe a dash more peppermint extract. Because the tequila is kind of hiding it. I can agree with that. I don't hate it, though. I actually really, really like this. And, of course, because this is a very special episode, I will have a drink for us halfway through the episode. So, stay tuned to hear about the drink that Noah has in store. 
But without further ado, let's jump right into the recaps. Ivan, this has been a great week of football. Some crazy things have happened. I don't even know where to begin. I so don't. let's start with you. I got something to say to you, Noah. What? How about them cowboys? How about them cowboys? Oh, baby. Yeah, they just kind of sucked. Flat out manhandled by the Buffalo Bills. And this is a team that's somehow still holding the number one seed in their number one spot in their division. That was embarrassing what I saw out there on the field. And it's not like Josh Allen played well at all. Buffalo just had the advantage everywhere where it mattered, whether it be on offense, on defense, the special teams play. Dallas was just thoroughly outmatched. Everywhere you turn, the quote-unquote better team, the Dallas Cowboys, was beat. James Cook had the game of his life, and I would like to get something out there now. I've said all season, James Cook is not a number one back. He can't be a franchise running back. Well, I'd like to apologize to James Cook, who had 25 carries for 179 yards, as well as a rushing and a receiving touchdown. So I'll eat my fair share of crow on that one. Dallas, in true Dallas form, decided to start the game off by taking some really stupid penalties. Dak Slid was hit by one of the Buffalo defenders late. You know, you want to stand up for your guys. Zach Martin decides to headbutt one of the Bills. I know you, you want to stand up for your quarterback. You want to protect your guys. But you got to, well, for lack of a better term, you got to use your head a little bit more than that. Yeah, you can't just go out and do shit like that. Especially when you would have gotten the 15 already for the late hit. You know, it was little things like that that really made the story of the game. Well, and I mean, for for me personally, as someone who has played, like I've been in situations like that. I mean, defending defending your teammates, for me personally, has always taken priority. But hitting somebody with your head just raises that risk. Because most, offici- um, most officials will recognize that you're trying to protect your player. And they won't call stuff. I mean, you see it all the time. You see somebody get hit hit late. O-line comes in, kind of pushes a few guys around. No penalties on that. Because the refs understand. But when you come in and you do something like using your head and hitting them like that, well, it's a different story entirely now. For sure, for sure. I'm going to get straight to the statistics here because we've got a long night ahead of us. I said Josh Allen wasn't that great, and he wasn't. 7 of 15 for 94 yards, one touchdown, one pick, sacked once. Rain Dakota Prescott, 21 of 34, 134 yards. A pick, sacked three times, two of those in the first half, and there were two pretty bad ones, just Dak not reading the field of play at all, turned directly into Bill's defenders. Not good decision-making. Tony Pollard had 11 carries for 52 yards. And when Tony Pollard doesn't produce, it makes it very, very difficult for Dallas to get their air game going because if you can't run the ball, you're going to have to throw it, and defenses are going to key into that. 
C.D. Lamb, seven receptions, 53 yards and a rushing touchdown. Across him, Stephon Diggs, four receptions for 48 yards. Truth be told, nobody stood out on either side of the defense except for one man. Dallas Cowboys number 11, Micah Parsons, for all the wrong reasons. He had two tackles the entire game. Absolutely ineffective. Could not do a thing. And when Micah Parsons can't get the job done, it just makes it so much more difficult for the rest of the defense to get it done because you need that pressure up front. It makes it easier for the secondary. It makes it easier for the linebackers. When that's gone, you're you're letting your boys down indirectly or otherwise. Buffalo comes out of this game with a win, an important one, keeping pace with Miami. And the Dallas Cowboys do clinch a playoff spot. We'll touch more on that later, of course. And Dak, when he was asked how he felt about clinching the playoffs, was not too happy. Because, you know, what does it matter? We got the playoff spot, we lost the game. And that's how you can summarize his press conference, because he was he was pretty hot. Next up on the docket, we have the Minnesota Vikings in Cincy taking on the Bengals. Now, this was a really interesting game to watch because this is yet another battle of the backups where you have Nick Mullins taking on Jake Browning. Now, the Vikings took a lead and pretty well held form for the entirety of the game, taking going, going to halftime 7-3. to three and spreading the score 17 to 3 at its worst point. Now, somehow Cincinnati was able to come back throughout the entirety of the game and tie it 24 to 24 to take it to overtime. Cincinnati had the first possession, went 3 and out, punted it to the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings ended up punting it as well. And at that point, Cincinnati marched down the field 44 yards to win the game with a walk-off field goal. Now, the first half of this game wasn't necessarily good, nor was it bad. You saw some good moments here and there, but you also saw some less-than-ideal parts just in that you saw some good play and you saw some bad play. But as far as the best players, well, of course, we have to give a shout out to Jordan Addison, who was the number one best receiver on the day. Both teams taken into consideration here. He went six, he had six targets, caught all six, went 111 yards, scored two touchdowns with an average of 15, sorry, 18.5 yards average. He was an important piece to this team. And whenever Mullins needed a target to get a first down in a crucial moment, Jordan Addison was there. And look, Ivan, you know how high I've been on Jordan Addison all year long. And this was a fantastic game to watch of his because he got a clutch touchdown later in the game and 
scored a very nice one earlier on as well. Well, we talked at length about, you know, what would happen with this Vikings receiving room when Justin Jefferson went down. Could Addison step up? And he's more than done that in my eyes. I mean, to have a rook play the way that he does makes that wideout room even more terrifying when we finally get a healthy Jefferson, because now who do you double? Absolutely. And really, the uh, the last thing I want to say is that the winning team, the Cincinnati Bengals, this is a completely different team from what we've seen at the very beginning of the season when Joe Burrow was playing hurt, when nobody really was clicking. Because right now what we're seeing is we're seeing a fantastic roster carrying a quarterback in Jake Browning and he's they're allowing him to make plays and they're working together to make amazing plays. And so I got to give a quick shout out to T Higgins because he had one of the greatest reaching touchdowns I've ever seen. He caught the ball spun around backwards and reached into the end zone for a touchdown. It was an amazing effort and is really something that I admire when we're looking at this team because they're rallying around this veteran backup and they're making him look like a starter in this league. And next year I could see uh, Browning playing for many teams as a starter. I very much agree with you there. I think we're, what we're seeing right now out of Jake Browning is, you know, you can make you can argue he's got great pieces around him right now. Sure, not going to dispute that. But he's going out there and he is playing high-quality football week in, week out so far. I think teams are going to have to take a shot at him. They'd be fools not to. Absolutely. And he makes a few mistakes here and there, but you can tell that that's from inexperience more than anything. But... The Bengals really, really deserved this win here. Really, both teams would have. They played, they both played really, really hard, despite both circumstances not being ideal. Um, and this was ultimately a very fun game to watch, very entertaining. Um, and I'm very excited to see what Browning can do in the future. And the last thing I want to say, this game saved the Bengals because if they lost this one, they would have been out of playoff contention altogether. Every game moving forward is a must win. And if they can continue to click the way that they have been clicking, then they can definitely make their way to the playoffs. And maybe Joe Joe Burrow gets healthy enough to be able to start playing again. If not, I definitely have confidence in Browning moving forward. Now you were talking about exciting games there. And boy, this wasn't one of them. The Baltimore Ravens going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville on a two-game skid, looking to really take control of the AFC South. Baltimore on a win streak, three games, looking to walk away from Miami for that number one seed in the AFC as a whole. And this was a game that can be characterized in a single word, mistakes. I don't know what kind of football Jacksonville was playing out there, but it was embarrassing. They had four scoring chances in the first half. Do you want to know how many points they came away with, Noah? How many? Nil. 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 
nothing to nothing to nothing sure brandon mcmanus hooked a 50-yard field goal off the upgrade off the upright whoop-de-doo trevor lawrence decided that a great time to eat some popcorn on the sidelines will be before going out to the baltimore 18-yard line you're in the red zone look it was third and 17 okay just move the ball forwards a little bit. Get McManus a couple extra yards, if not throw it away. Well, Trevor Lawrence decided to run, try to get a couple extra yards, and lost the football. It gets worse. Trevor Lawrence throws a beautiful ball to Zay Jones for 36 yards. They're at Baltimore's 5, 15 seconds left in the half. You clock the ball. You spike it. Unless you're Trevor Lawrence. They hustle to the line. Lawrence snaps the ball, throws an out route to Parker Washington, who could not get out of bounds. The clock ticked down to zero. Jags could have been up 16-10 to 10 at halftime, said they were down 10 nothing, And it didn't get better from there. In fact, it got worse. The Jags were not cohesive, could not get a thing going. And this is a team that's supposed to contend in the AFC? This is a top-heavy conference. And now the Jags have found themselves in a really bad spot because we got a three-way tie right now for leadership of the AFC South. Houston, Indianapolis, and Jacksonville are all 8-6. and six. Things are about to get incredibly dicey. Jacksonville, they're fortunate. They've got a bit of an easy schedule from here on out. Problem is, so does Indianapolis. Houston, they're going to need a lot of help. But the Jags needed this game. They needed to take that step, that get that breath of fresh air between them and their opponents. They could not do that. Trevor Lawrence, 25 of 43, 264 yards, threw a touchdown, was sacked once, and left the game and was put into, concu- sorry, and was put into concussion protocol after the game, did not speak to the media. He also lost two fumbles. Lamar Jackson went 14 of 24 for 171 yards, one touchdown, one pick, and he was sacked three times. Top rusher from each side, Lamar Jackson. 12 carries, 97 yards. Lamar just cannot shed that running back label. And right across the field from him was Trevor Lawrence, who had... Four carries for 41 yards. Running backs, what are those? Never heard of them. That's why they don't get paid. Yeah. Jacksonville's not in a good spot right now. With Lawrence being in the protocol, that means he's got to get extensively tested. There could be something wrong. He's still coming off of that ankle sprain. So you're going to have to rely on C.J. Bethard to close out the season, potentially. And to make matters worse, CFL stud Nathan Rourke was put on waivers by the Jags this past week and claimed by New England. So you don't have him in the stable anymore. And C.J. Beathard did not look good the last time we saw him on an NFL field. The Jaguars are going to need a whole lot of luck. And if I'm Dougie Peterson, I'm sending prayers up right now as fast as I can because they could very easily choke this division away. And the last game we're going to be covering is... The Philadelphia Eagles in Seattle. I feel like I need to take out Zen Noah for a second here, so that way I don't overreact. Because, ultimately, 
the issues that see that the Seattle Seahawks have had are still there. The culture in the locker room, especially on offense, is still a big question mark. It seems toxic. There's a lack of leadership. And all in all, it's not a healthy environment for a team to thrive. Now, that wasn't the case this week. Everybody did what they needed to do. The most toxic player on this offense, DK Metcalf, wasn't targeted for two and a half quarters and was only targeted once in the first three quarters. And he didn't cause a single problem. Now, is it because Seattle was in the game from the very beginning and stuck with the Eagles throughout? Possibly. Could it be that Drew Locke is starting to find a way to get this team to rally around him? That's another possibility. But I can't get too excited over this because as much as I want to say, we beat the Eagles, we beat one of the best teams in the NFC, they didn't look like it. Defense looked unsure. They have a new play caller. That's going to take some adjusting on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Jalen Hurts was very clearly unwell. He was very clearly sick. And it showed in the way that he played. We won because we were better than a sick and underperforming Eagles team. And as excited as I am for the win, because I don't think we're going to have too many more like this this season or at all, because the rest of the games in the Seahawks season are going to be relatively easier games or lesser opponents comparatively. I'm just not convinced. I think that the Eagles have things they need to work through. I think they need to get healthy. But I think that the issues that the Seahawks have had are still there. And they're hiding underneath the veneer of this victory. Now, enough doom and gloom because there's a lot of good things to talk about. I spoke to a lot of my coworkers today and a lot of them said that this was a boring game. But this was anything but a boring game. This was a fantastic defensive matchup through and through. We had Brandon Graham showing up big when the Eagles needed him to. And not going to lie, made me feel a little conflicted because you know how much I love Brandon Graham. The Seattle defense showed up in a big way. Um, Leonard Williams had five tackles solo by himself and put some incredible pressure on Jalen Hurts, and you could tell that he was uncomfortable the entire game. We had guys like Boye Mafe had two pass deflections early on in the game that could have easily changed it. Now, there is one defensive player that I want to talk about, but let's talk about both offenses first. The tush push was solid. Unstoppable, as it usually is. Unless Kelsey moves the ball forward a yard and a half before the snap. Unless that, of course. The Seattle Seahawks struggled at first with Drew Locke, but slowly started to get used to it. And a big part of the issue with that is that Drew 
was announced to be the starter five minutes before the game was supposed to start. That's how tight it was. And so his slow start to the game, I think, is justified because he didn't think he was going to be starting. Nobody thought he was going to be starting. I don't even think Pete Carroll thought he was going to be starting. But same old issues on both offenses, poor play calling, bad time management, and just poor execution on both sides of the ball. Seattle had the edge, especially towards the end, with JSN getting a touchdown to get the lead, but I'll go over that in a, in a moment. So to talk about the player of the game, I have to paint a picture. Two minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Eagles are up by four points. And the Eagles start marching down the field. The defense cannot do anything to stop them until they get to the red zone. And Jalen Hurts throws a ball into the end zone for a touchdown, and it's intercepted by Julian Love. Now, I've talked about this in the past, and I've said that picks that don't lead to anything can turn into a double-edged sword. Well, that didn't happen this time because the Seattle offense went out, went three and out, and pinned the Eagles' offense into their zone. The Eagles are forced to punt the ball. And the Seahawks march down with a 40-yard pass to DK Metcalf and a 30-yard pass for a touchdown to JSN. Beautifully read, beautifully played, beautifully executed all the way around. It's the best football I've seen from the Seattle offense all season long, and that was with Drew Locke. Don't know how I feel about that, but that's what happened. Now with 28 seconds left, down by three points, the Eagles start marching down the field. They need 25 yards to kick a field goal to tie it. And Jalen Hurts bombs it. And who comes in again? But Julian Love to intercept it, to ice the game. Julian Love was far and above the player of the game. Nobody could pass any. Jalen could not pass anything on him. No runs could get past him. He got a couple tackles for a loss. He made some amazing plays. And those two interceptions, normally interceptions, can change completely the way that the game plays out. But not like this. If it wasn't for both of these, Seattle would have lost the game. And that alone deserves the player of the game, if not the defensive player of the week, because of the impact that it had on this game. You know, Ivan, I've been looking forward to this week. You're telling me. C-tits, baby. C-tits week. Let's go. Let's go. And so to celebrate... My Seahawks taking on Ivan's Titans. We're actually doing a fun little draft this week. I'm pretty excited about it. We are doing a, well, I'm calling it the C-Tits draft. You can call it whatever you want. But we are only drafting historic Seahawk players and Titan players. We're also extending that to the Oilers. and It's the entire franchise. Now, there are some rules. 
we have to have at least two players from each team. So that way I'm not just picking Seahawks and Ivan's not picking just Titans. Also, to try and include as many positions as possible, Ivan has to draft at least two defenders and two offenders and one safety, and the same goes for me. Special teamer. What did I say? Safety. That's what I meant. I mean, I might just draft a safety for the hell of it, but... If you draft that man, I'm going to murder you. Ooh. And you know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't that be a hell of a way to start off C-Tits week? Oh, 100%. And, funny enough, we actually tied last week, too, on the polls. 0-0? Zero, 1-1. Zero? One, one. Oh, let's go. So, we actually have to flip the C-Tits coin for the C-Tits draft on C-Tits week. This feels rigged. I love it. Right? Well, we're not the NFL, so we can't be that rigged. I'll drink for that. As always, the Seahawks logo is heads, and the Titans logo is tails. Ivan? Tails never fails. Tails never fails. And sure enough, it is tails. So you get the first overall pick. Who are you picking first overall in the C-Tits draft? Oh, baby. I'd like to defer, actually. You'd like to defer. I would like to defer. Well, you don't get to. I don't get to? Okay, Cam Chancellor. I offered you an olive branch. You didn't take it. I see. This this, this is how it is, eh? I gave you an olive branch. This is how it's going to be. I gave you the opportunity. Why'd you pick Cam first overall? To fuck with you. Ooh. Entirely. No, I gave you the chance, and you didn't take it. Okay. Just like you didn't take the chance to run the ball with Marshawn. Wow. Yeah. You are, you are really getting into it early. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, tell you what. Yeah. I'm also going to pick a player that you love. Okay. Who played on both the Seahawks and the Titans. Rare commodity but also one of the greatest players to ever do it. I'm taking Warren Moon at quarterback. Okay. I know there's no other player that I can really take that's like that for you, but that's fine. I can let it go. Can I make a confession? Hmm. He's not even in my top five. He's not even in your top five. He's not even in my top five. Warren Moon? Nope. Oh. So Holloway, who's next? I'm more familiar with Moon than I am McNair, so that's why I went with Moon. That's fair. I can't fault you that. So what's next in your bag of tricks? Next in my bag of tricks, honestly, I can't let you take this guy away from me. It would honestly kill me. But also, he's the best running back that we could possibly draft, period. Uncomparable. Best quarterback available is off the board, in my opinion. Now it's time to take the best running back. And I'm taking, of course, Marshawn Lynch. You know, you're allowed to believe whatever you want to believe, and that's okay. I mean, hey. We all have we all I have get delusions. criticized because Marshawn Lynch didn't run it. That's how great he is. When has your organization ever been criticized because you didn't run the ball? Never, because run your ball. running backs are overrated. Your guy calls himself the king when at best he's the princess. Oh, that would be funny if we didn't have four of the best running backs to ever touch the turf. Doesn't matter if you have four of the top five. I still got one, one, baby. You know, delusion really is a hell of a drug, isn't it? Now, look, I'm going to take a guy that I know you wouldn't ever have thought of taking. I'm going to take the greatest Titan to ever play. Bruce 
Matthews. He's on my board. I bet he is. This guy, the most versatile offensive lineman in league history, played snaps at all five positions and did it well. Hall of Fame, multi-time All-Pro, has family members in the league today. Not gonna lie, you really got in my head after that Cam Chancellor picks, and I'm kind of fucked. I know I did. That yeah, was that. That's, yeah, yeah, you yeah. did. You yeah. did. You did. So now that I've done that, I want to bolster my offense even more. So I'm going to take the best wide receiver in Seattle Seahawks history, Tyler Lockett. No, Steve Largent, the guy who, at the time of his retirement, held the lead position in all of the most important receiving statistics. And then some guy named Jerry came around, but we don't talk about him. So haul away, buddy. I don't hate that. I'm pretty satisfied with Moon and Lynch, so I can't get upset there. But now I need some defensive talent. Obviously, you took my number one guy. However, however, I will be taking one of my all-time favorite players. Cliff Averill, the most underrated defensive player in Seahawks history. Now, of course, everybody, all of the 12s, we know who he is. In part of us losing Super Bowl 49 was because he got hurt. And a lot of people don't know that. It was such an incredible crutch. And when he retired, again, that was another incredible crutch that Seattle really struggled to recover from. And I'm looking at my board. And it's tricky because I need another defender and I need another Titan. So now, what options do I have? Well, I'm not going to go the direction that you think I'm going to go. I don't know where you think I think you're going to go. I think you think you think you know where I think I'm going to go. You might think I'm not. I've lost count already. Because I have my leaders on offense. I have one half leaders on defense. But rather than get a linebacker, I think my best bet is to go with Javon Curse. And here's why. He's widely regarded as the greatest defensive lineman in Titans history. Valid. 100%. He put up incredible numbers. And really the fact that he's still on the board, honestly, even if we had 10 picks, (laughs) I didn't realize how difficult this draft was going to be i wish we had 10 picks i I really do too there's so many more things we could flush out with this there's so many more because typically i just do 10 and a couple facts here and there but i did 14 holy smokes because they just kept coming to me and coming to me and coming to me and javon curse was one of those first titans that i wrote down because he was such an influence and is directly one of the people who inspired Cliff Averill. So let's put him on the same team. I like it. I'm, you know, I'm glad you got the freak. It it stings a little bit, but this kind of opened the door for my fourth pick. Now I can do what I've wanted to do this whole time. I'm taking a linebacker. Bobby Wagner. God no. Oh, Keith. Bullock. Oh, okay. 
arguably the greatest defensive player in the history of the Tennessee Titans, even considering Javon Curse's achievements. Bullock was always there when he needed to be. Made tackles like a madman. Three-time All-Pro. This man could do everything. He was Mr. Monday Night, damn it all. Such an important piece of that early, mid, even the early 2010 era of Tennessee from 2000 to 2009. He was always there and always performed, and he didn't miss a game from 2002 through 2009. The best ability? Availability. But Keith Bullock sure had a whole lot of other abilities with him, and I got to take him here. I respect that. And now this is where things get interesting because I need a special teamer. Yeah. There were three names that popped in my head immediately once once we decided that special teams were a necessity. I could take the punter that was on the 1999 Super Bowl losing team. I could take the punter who broke an 82-year-old NFL record in his rookie season. But I'm not. I'm going to take Brett Kern. The man who single-handedly became the king of the coffin corner. He pinned his opponents better than The Undertaker did. And he was, oh, so reliable around for so long. I almost wished we'd signed him out of retirement when Stonehouse got hurt. Yeah. No, that's fair. It's a great pick. But you know what's an even better pick? What's an even better pick? The greatest hunter to ever set foot on a football field in a Seattle Seahawks uniform. Is this the guy that fucked up his own kick and had to recover from it and became a meme? No, it's not Mr. Double Punt. Although, that's that wasn't his fuck up. <laughs> I'm going with the legendary punter who has a recorded four passing touchdowns in his career. Who is able to pin opposing teams so well that they couldn't get out of it, especially going up against the devastatingly amazing Legion of Boom. And that is the underappreciated and under-talked about John Ryan. Saskatchewan Rough Riders legend, John Ryan. That's a good pick. The first kicker to ever be on the Seahawks since I started watching. When he retired, when he left, it was heartbreaking. Definitely up there in my top 20, top 25 Seahawks of all time, hands down. But I'm pretty happy with this pick. That is a really good pick. And I'm actually, this is going to sound weird, I'm glad you didn't take Dixon over him. Oh, of course I wasn't going to take Dixon. I I half thought you would just because of the shitpost side of you. I mean, if you took Stonehouse, I probably would take Dixon. But... Really, Brett Kern and John Ryan are the best punters oh, they, in they, each franchise, respectively. 100%. Like, and never mind each franchise. I really do think they were, at the very least, two of the top three in their era. The only exception being McAfee. But as a quick recap, Ivan, 
Tell us who you got. Yeah. I got Cam Chancellor, Bruce Matthews, Steve Largent, Keith Bullock, and Brett Kern. And I have the legendary Warren Moon, the unstoppable Marshawn Lynch, the all-penetrating Cliff Averill, the freak of nature, Javon Curse, and the thrower of touchdowns, and the all-time greatest punter, besides Pat McAfee, John Ryan. All-time? That's a reach. Yes, at least for the Seahawks. Well, I'll give you that, yeah. We hope you guys enjoyed the draft, but now it's time for the second drink, shall we? Oh, let's. So, we will be drinking one of our all t- from one of our all-time favorite breweries, Trans Canada. It's been a while. Feels like it's been a it, long time. It has been That's since episode why. one. Is it? Feels like it. It just might be. That feels wrong, but feels wrong, but it also doesn't. Yeah. But this is their holiday cranberry stout. Now it's won lots of awards here in Winnipeg. And uh, I'm incredibly excited to drink it during Christmas with my family. But I'm even more excited to share it here with my friend. Now, this rich, dark chocolate cranberry stout will have you experiencing notes of rich, dark chocolate, soft vanilla, and a touch of espresso. Finishing off with a hint of sweet, tart cranberry. Stay warm and spend time together and sip slow. So obviously we're going to chug this. So we're going to knock it back in one now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. As is tradition. Now, I had to specially go to the brewery for this. And this bottle is so nice. I think I might actually have to, you know, store it at home, put it up with the rest of my bottles. See see if you can get the cap resealed and everything. That or I'll just have to buy a whole brand new one. Shit, that sounds good. And just leave it sealed. Yeah. But cheers, my friend. Cheers to you. You know, I got so, a confession to make. I've never been a big stout guy. Holy smoke. And the sl- sip slow isn't to, you know, keep you from getting absolutely blasted. It's because it tastes better with smaller sips. Oh, 100%. My first sip was a huge gulp. I mean, you get those notes of espresso, especially that rich, dark chocolate, and of course the cranberry aftertaste. But on my second sip, it was a much smaller one, and I was able to get more air in there. And at that point, I could taste much more vanilla. That cranberry came out a little bit more sweet and tart. Um, wow, this is... Knocked it out of the park. I mean, wow. <laughs> I, For once in my life, I'm at a loss for words, and I'm incredibly excited and we're all incredibly thankful for that yeah 
that what that I'm not talking exactly. But that said, this really was a hell of a pick. You know what? You can thank uh, my grandpa for it. Shout out to Noah's grandpa. Shout out to Noah's grandpa. Now, without further ado, let the shit talking commence. All the way. Where we go over our predictions for the Sea Tits game on Christmas Eve. I want to get something out of the way first. Anything that says is all in fun. I was going to say Merry Christmas, but... Merry motherfucking Christmas. Merry motherfucking Christmas. Yippee-ki-fucking-yay. All right. All right. Let me tell you why your Tennessee Titans are going down. Go ahead. You got no corners. You got no O-line. And our D-line has found some newfound confidence with Leonard Williams under uh, on, on the edge. Honestly, we're probably going to get about five sacks against uh, Will Levis. Five sacks, And that's sure. a conservative estimate. That's a conservative estimate, sure. I'll, I'll give you that one. I think that my boys can do just as well against your O-line. We got the best nose tackle in the nation, Big Jeff. We got Arden Key and Harold Landry on the outside. These boys get paid to fuck shit up, and Drew Locke will be no different. It'll be Gino this time. That's no better. Oh, it, but it is. Because oh, yeah, Gino is one of G- the greatest to be able to guard any of our receivers. DK Metcalf, he's better deep. JSN saw it this week. Great deep. He'll make one-handed handed snags all day long, especially with your candy-ass um, soft zone coverage that you guys love to run. And as for your dink and dunk, the princess won't even stand a penny. You're actually not wrong there. Do you want to know why? Why? Because the prince is going to come out and he's going to fuck your shit up. Not when he gets freaking railed by the man of the hour, Bobby Wagner. Doesn't matter how he wags can't catch him. The man moves like he's in quicksand. Have you seen Spears run? He'll have B Wags spinning in circles. B Wags has been taking on people faster than Spears for years. Yeah, when he was in his physical prime, my grandfather could outpace B Wags at this point. It's not like your second your secondary's not looking no better either. We got Spoons coming in. He's going to be a run, uh, nominated for Rookie of the Year. If he plays. He will play. Rick Woolen got benched again for the fourth time this season. Oh, Jamal Adams is out. Oh, no, that's nothing new. I forgot. Oh, you know what? Quandre Diggs out on the field, baby. Who do you have that can compare to Quandre? Who, who do you have that can outpace Quandre? DeAndre Nobody. Hopkins. Nobody. Yeah. D-Hop has been isolated and absolutely destroyed. By Reek last season. Yeah, and, last season. And, when, who was his and, quarterback last season? Oh, yeah. Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. Poor little Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. Better than Will Levis. Way better. No. Oh, yeah. No. Last season, way better than no, Will No shit, Levis. he was better last season. Levis was at Kentucky. If you compare him last season I'll compare, to Will Levis I will this compare, season, he's better. I will compare dedication. And you know what I don't see out of Kyler Murray? Any sort of dedication. He doesn't give a shit. 
No wonder DeAndre Hopkins lost. Yeah, D-Hop couldn't shake off Reek, and he couldn't shake off Quandre. It's a deadly combo. It's and, not, and it's the not reason, gonna be and the reason why how to tackle. Gets, gets benched is because he struggles tackling. But when you have a guy like Hopkins, oh, he's going to have a job to do all game long. His coverage speaks for itself. He's one of the best corners in the league, and it's going to show. Fine then. Double D-hop all you want. You want to know you know we have on the other side of the field there? Trey Burks, who is finally looking like the guy he's supposed to be. Okay, the- bring in Tra- Traylon Burks. Trey Brown will cover him, and Trey Brown will get... Trey Brown will look like a snail. Oh, he did great against your boy, A.J. Brown. Trey Brown played phenomenally against yeah. the Eagles. And do you know who the Eagles are better than? Against the Seahawks? Your boys. Uh, we, beat, we beat the Eagles. How can you say they're better than us? I'll evaluate something real quick, if I may. Yeah. Let's evaluate your shitty-ass running back room. What do you mean? K-9's falling off of a cliff. K-9 had a great game last week, and he's coming back. And he went up against a better D-line this week than he will be next week. So you better bet your ass he's going to be running 100 yards all over you. And guess what? Sharps is going to be right behind him with about 50 yards. Sharps will hit 20 at max. Yeah, with... Two carries. Bullshit. And I'd place the house on that. I'd like to see Sharbs get past Big Jeff. I'd pay top dollar for that. Why would you say that? Why do you want to see Big Jeff get brought away in an ambulance? (laughs) You're a funny man, though. I knew there was a reason I kept you around. Funny and truthful. Rare combination nowadays. I'll drink to that. But look, do you want to know why I'm not afraid of you? Why? Because this organization has been around the league for, what is it, 50 years? How many Super Bowls do you have to show for it? How many Super Bowls have you been to? That's right. There's one little lonesome Super Bowl. But sorry, I, I I didn't mean didn't mean to have a low blow though. I, I should go a little a, a yard higher there. We got one. We fucked up another, and the ref stole another one from us. Ref that's, stole that's another fair. one. Cry more, bitch. Cry more. Let's talk about a guy who I always appreciated in his time here in Tennessee. Short as it was, let's talk about Titans legend. Oh, what's his name? Malcolm Butler. Does that name ring any bells? Did that man hurt your feelings once? No, Pete Carroll did, because he made a shitty call. (laughs) He made a call that the entire Patriots defense knew was coming because your film is so predictable. It's like watching a bad horror movie. Our film... Oh, shit. That's not going to be a... I was going to say our film is predictable now, but that's not better. That's not better. That makes you seem any better. No, I just don't have really anything else to talk shit about your shitty organization. I feel like we've kind of touched most of the bases. Yeah. Your offensive coordinator sucks. My offensive coordinator sucks. You know what? We're actually a lot more similar than uh, than we realize. Yeah. You know what? At least we'll get a good draft pick. Yeah. Well, we won't. Yeah, no, you won't. You'll but we'll be a make one do and done. Yeah, we definitely will. You'll be a one and done in the playoffs and pick like 17th. For our listeners, this is all fun and jokes here. 
Of course, we have nothing but respect for each other and our teams. Besides, we always cheer for each other's teams unless it's Super Bowl related. Exactly. I mean, well, as that's much more as of an I... Ivan thing, but yeah, fair. I'll give you that one. But realistically, it's going to be a weird game. I don't know what to expect from Seattle. I don't know who our starting quarterback is going to be. I hope it's not Will Levis. And I'm kind of hoping it's going to be Drew Locke based off of the last couple of weeks that he's played. Yeah, he didn't look ten at, like amazing against the Niners, but he did better than Geno did during his first matchup with them. And hopefully, if that were the case and say Drew starts, well, hopefully it can, this trend of the locker room getting sorted out is works moving forward because if Seattle ends up needing to trade for a different quarterback, I firmly believe DK has to go because he's the biggest cancer in that locker room. I think he, like I said, he has to, you have to change that culture if you're going to bring somebody in regardless of who it is. And realistically DK is your, as it stands, your biggest buying piece outside of maybe spoons. I hope Will Levis doesn't start. And it's not because I don't like Will Levis. It's because he's hurt. I don't want to see him get hurt more. And I do want to see Ryan Tannehill close out his what could be his last season in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and as far as our defenses go, I mean, we have different weaknesses. For us, well, our weaknesses are our injuries, right? Bobby hasn't looked the best, especially lately. He's been a step behind everything, it seems like, and it's tough to watch. Right. Oh yeah. I, I've watched Bobby as, since he's come into the league. He's one of my all-time favorite Seahawks, and it's tough to watch. It's not fun. It's not easy. No. But it is what it is, and hopefully Spoons is able to play. And if that's the case, I think that that will have an extremely heavy impact on the way that the game plays out. It will for sure, and I know that because if Devin Witherspoon is playing. That, as much as I said it earlier, that really does lock up a side of the field. Mm-hmm. And you know he'll be on hop. Absolutely. But I'm also not all too concerned with Tariq Woolen, specifically on coverage. I'm not worried on coverage. I'm worried for him on behalf of the way Tennessee uses Chris Moore as kind of that quick inside, you know, 10, 15-yard route guy. That's where Moore specializes. And yeah. Reek, like I've said, you know, He's been benched a lot because he doesn't finish his tackles because he's afraid to get hurt again. Yeah, but also I think he struggles with it too. He is a little undersized in his weight class, so I think in the offseason he needs to work on building his weight up, and with that, the confidence to create better tackles will open up to him. Um, We didn't see too much of that last year, so there's something else holding him back. Maybe he didn't make the progress that he was hoping to. But the only thing that's kind of taken a sidestep, if not a downstep, is his tackling. Everything else has been better. I don't see Tariq Woolen mentioned ever unless it's tackling, which is a great sign for a cornerback in coverage. But it's again... A, it's, it's only going to be a problem if you guys run single high safety sets. Yeah. Because then... You know, he's potentially on an island. 
and that's where I start to worry. Now, I want to I want to evaluate this soft zone that we run because it pisses me off. I'm going to be straight with you. Shane Bowen is an absolute hack. Should not have a coordinator job in the NFL, but that's a whole different kettle of fish. The injury bugs bit us hard again. Christian Fulton out for the season. He's played his last game as a Tennessee Titan, I'm sure. Sean Murphy bunting, arguably our top corner, is questionable. I expect he'll play. Roger McCreary has been a bright spot. I was nervous because early season he was regressing pretty bad. Last few weeks he's shot way up. Amani Hooker and Elijah Molden both look the best that I've ever seen them. But I don't like the idea of us getting gashed because of our shitty defensive formations. And that's what's going to happen. Because Shane Bowen will not adjust a thing and will keep running two-man high until the cows come home. Well, that's prime JSN territory right there because he can just nip in and pick up a free 20 whenever he wants. Yeah. Well, not only that, DK is good at that. And while Tyler has taken a major step back this season, if he is going to find success it's going to be the, It's going to be the middle of the field. It's going to be the middle of the field. It has to be. Now... Ironically enough, your defensive coordinator and our offensive coordinator are probably the biggest issues in the back office. I disagree. As far as coaching is concerned. No, you disagree uh, still? I still do disagree, and I'll, I'll let you explain your side, and then I'll get into it. Shane's play calling is horrible, to say the least. Screens on third and 20, third and 15. Game on the line, running when running is the worst option, not allowing quarterbacks to run certain types of audibles that would work. And really the play calling, like I said earlier, is predictable. And me, as someone who played amateur football, should not be able to read and predict a pro NFL team like I can. Maybe it's because I watch the Seahawks week in, week out. But it's, at times, it's incredibly predictable. And the way that the Seahawks line up, I can think in, I think in my head, no, don't run that. And then they run exactly what I think that they're going to run. And there are multiple plays that come directly into my mind. And some of them are pick sixes. Now, whether or not it is Shane Waldron or Pete Carroll, I don't know. But it really hasn't been good, and he's not a good source of leadership for this offense either. You talk about offenses. Seattle's biggest advantage coming into this game is that they're going to be playing against a team that's playing by CFL rules. Because Tennessee likes to waste their first down running it up the gut with Derrick Henry. I love King Henry. His time is coming to an end, I fear. And maybe it's just because our offensive line makes a dumpster look sexy. Maybe. But I'm almost at the point where I would rather see the prince on the field than the king. Just because with Tajay Spears, we're at least going to get, you know, two, three yards. With Derrick Henry at this point, it's really a gamble of plus eight or minus three. And it doesn't help that he's getting hit behind the line. Obviously, that's not a good situation to be in. But even when he's not, he's not able to push into that second gear that he did for so long. And it's, 
it's sad to watch. I mean, this is well, argu- really- arguably the greatest running back of his time. I would make an argument for Christian McCaffrey, but I definitely see the point there. As far as what both teams need to do to win, the Tennessee really needs to try and shut down the passing game for the Seahawks. I don't think that the running game will be too terribly much of a threat. I think that we'll have a nice balance of running and passing that will make running effective. But if we're being forced to run, it won't work. And so really the best option is to try and limit the passing limit it over the middle, because that's exactly where Seattle's going to target. As far as the Seahawks defensively, just putting pressure on whoever's under center. Tannehill hasn't looked comfortable when he's being pressured this season. Um, Malik Willis, same situation, except he's been worse than Tannehill. And so really, I think that this is going to be a game that's made and won by whichever defense performs better. But unfortunately for the Titans, it's the Seahawks that have the more reliable defense at this point in time, despite the injuries, but we have the better coaching. And that I think is what's going to set us over the edge. And um, we're coming in with that extra confidence from beating the Eagles. Exactly. You, know, you guys are on the high, but if I look at what, what needs to happen, if Seattle wants to limit this Tennessee team, they got to play smart. You got to keep your heads out of your asses. You got to just dig in, play your kind of football. Because, look, I'm going to be straight to the point. We suck. Okay, it's, it's not a good year. This is a down year. Earlier than I wanted it to be, but things happen. But this is a team that is not going to give up. I mean, we saw that against Miami. What score do you have? 28 to 18 in favor of Seattle. I have too many question marks surrounding Tennessee right now, and Seattle is, they need to be on a tear if they've got any shot of making the playoffs. They're going to be coming in hungry, determined. No, I agree. With me, I'm really torn. Because I can see this being a blowout. Something along the lines of 35 to 6, 7. But I can also see it being uncomfortably tight. Like 27 to 26. So I'm going to meet it about halfway. Kind of like what you did. Uh, I'm going to say 30 to 17. Also in favor of my Seahawks. And, I mean, I always hope the best for your boys. But right now, the best is, is for you guys to lose out the rest of the oh, it season. Is. And, you know, I I would be okay were we to lose out the rest of the year because... And I promise I won't be as insufferable to you than I, that I was my dad. Well, your dad's got something to play for, that's why. Let's move on to the blind ranking. Ooh. Now, you got the first pick, so I'll start with my ranking first. Okay. And we're sticking with the trend of C-tits this week. But this time, we decided to add a little bit of a twist. Ivan has ranked his top five Tennessee Titans of all time. I've done the same for my Seattle Seahawks. And the point of this blind ranking 
is to try and guess which order the other person's top five is in. So, Ivan, are you ready? I am. Let's go. First player is going to be Cliff Averill. Cliff Averill. Okay. So you took him earlier. Mm -hmm. You've been very open about how big of a deal he was to the Seattle team. So I'm going to put him... See, but I, I know you, right? So I can feel, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck are sticking up a little bit, so I'll put him at the three. And what about Sean Alexander? Sean Alexander. I almost already am feeling regret. Almost. 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 But I am going to put Mr. Alexander at the four. Because I, 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 feel, I feel something coming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you the next two. Okay. Cut. Back to back. So you know who's coming. All right. Marshawn Lynch and Bobby Wagner. Well, B Wags at two. B Wags at two. B Wags at two. Because I remember the story you told me about the day he got cut. And that's resonated with me. Whether or not I'm right, I, I can feel confident putting B Wags at two. Okay. I don't even think I have to say his name. No. I had him penciled in already. And that is, of course, Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor. My all-time favorite Seahawk. I have not hid that at all. I'm very vocal about it. I absolutely love Cam Chancellor. Now, you were so incredibly close. You have no idea. Oh, really? Yes. Two names. Two names. Just need to be swapped. That's it. So I'll give you a recap on what you did. Okay. And then I'll read the ones that you got right afterwards. So at five, you had Marshawn Lynch. Four, Sean Alexander. Three, Cliff Averill. Two, Bobby Wagner. And one... Cam Chancellor. Can I can I guess? Yes. Cliff Averill and Sean Alexander. No. I wow. love Sean, but I can't love him as much as I would like to because of I, I never got to see him play. Mm-hmm. But you had him in the correct spot. You also had Cliff wow. Averill in the correct spot. No way. And you had Cam Chancellor in the correct spot. Bobby Wagner is my fifth favorite Seahawk of all time. Wow. And Marshawn Lynch is my second favorite Seahawk of all time. And there's a very simple reason for these. When I first started watching Seattle, I was actually a defensive end. Cliff Averill was the Seahawk that I idolized until Cam Chancellor came into his own as a player and as a playmaker. Marshawn Lynch is the player that made me a Seahawks fan. I cheered for him when he was in Buffalo, and I followed him to Seattle. And for that reason, he'll always be my number two. 
And the player that made me fall in love with football was obviously Cam Chancellor. Wow. But you were very close. I, 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 you know, I can feel good coming out of this because... You did well, and I could tell you almost swapped Wagner and Lynch. I, I, I almost did. I it, Like, the, you, the I, I could tell were, you didn't like where Lynch was being put. No, I, I, and that is... It's not even so much that I felt weird putting Wagner at two. It's that I felt weird putting Lynch at five. Yeah. Because it didn't make sense. And as far as why Bobby Wagner is is five, there's not really any reason for it. It's just I like you like everybody else more. I like everybody That's... else more. They've all had a I mean Bobby Wagner, it was watching him and Ray Lewis that helped me learn how to play linebacker when I was playing football. But there was just something about Cliff Averill. Just absolutely loved him. Now, Ivan, I'm ready. All right. I don't think I'm going to do as well as you did, but probably not. But I have not. I've never been as open. It's because you you you've struggled with uh, with ranking guys. I have. I always have. Javon Curse. Ooh, the freak! You're not much of a defensive guy, so I struggle putting him above three. So I'm going to put him four. Put him at four. Ryan Tannehill. Another tough one. I knew you were going to put him up here, too. Oh, I mean, that goes without that. That should have gone without saying. Yeah. Now, I struck. I don't think he's one. Now, it's just about whether he's two or three. And you're not giving me anything. I'm, like, just stone, stone, stone faced. Stone yeah. I'm going to follow my gut here and put him two. The king. One. That look on your face does not make me feel good about that. Wesley Woodyard. You've never talked about him before. So I'm going to put him five. And Logan Ryan. Three automatically. So I hate to break it to you. I didn't get a single one right, did I? Not a single one. Damn. Okay. Well, hit me with it. Who's five? Logan Ryan. Okay. Logan Ryan. I'm going to get really, really cheesebally here for a bit, but it's important. Logan Ryan is the man who made me stay in love with American football. Okay. If Tennessee loses that game to New England, I don't know if I necessarily keep up with the sport as much as I have today. Okay. That's a fair reason. Who do you have at four? Wesley Woodyard. I do not remember Woodyard much. He played, I watched him for two years, three years. But he will always stick out to me because he was so effective at what he did. He was a guy, I don't know if you've seen that video of when a Detroit Lions fan's kid wandered into the Titans tunnel. No, I Woodyard haven't. starts talking to the kid, picks him up, puts him on his shoulders, carries him out to the field. That's awesome. And every time, and this, this is going to be way out of pocket, every time I loaded up Madden 16 and I'd play against Tennessee Woodyard was always there in the mix without a doubt. 
and it just it helped me appreciate him more. For sure. Number three, Javon Curse. I was not alive when he became the freak. I did not watch him play a single game in a Titans uniform. But I've gone back and I've watched most of the 1999 season. The impact that he brought to a franchise that had just come home proper after spending two years in fucking Memphis and 30 years before then in Houston. Without Javon Curse, you know, we can talk the impact of Steve McNair forever, but without Javon Curse, football in Tennessee is not as big as it is today. Because he was really the catalyst for that 1999 run to the Super Bowl. Fair enough. Number two, the king, Derrick Henry. I love Derrick Henry. I always have. I always will. So good on the field. So good off of it. So reliable for the most part. But I cannot, in good faith, put him above Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill came in in 2019, revitalized this Tennessee squad. We were in a tough spot. Mariota was not doing well. Tannehill came in. Takes us to the wild card. Gets us two playoff wins. And he's just such... You know, he's had his issues the last couple of years. He's been hurt really bad a couple of times. His plays obviously declined. But I will always think of him from the years 2019 to 2021. And just like the joy that I felt watching him step out onto the field. It would be objectively wrong for me to put anyone else ahead of him. That's fair. That's how I feel about Cliff. Damn, I'm actually pretty choked that I didn't get a single one right. I thought for sure the King was your favorite 10 of all time. But, say la vie. Now. Now. Let's move on to the playoff picture. Now, for the NFC, last week, in first place, we had the San Francisco 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys at two, three, the, the Detroit Lions, four, Tampa Bay, five, Philly, six, Minneapolis, and seven, Green Bay. Now, since then, the Niners won over the Cardinals, big win, division win. Detroit won, also division win. Detroit won over Denver. Big win there. Both teams competing for the playoffs. Tampa beating Green Bay was a very big surprise for a lot of people. I think for you and I, we both suspected that Tampa would put up much more of a fight than a lot of analysts expected. I, I expected a fight. I didn't expect Baker to go out and be the first quarterback in NFL history to have a perfect passer rating at Lambeau. Fair enough. And, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles lost to the Seattle Seahawks. Go Hawks. And Minnesota lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. Pretty weird week for a lot of these teams. As things stand now, San Fran is still at one. 
sitting at 11 and 3. Dallas is still 2, 10 and 4. Tampa, 7 and 7. The Eagles, 10 and 4. Minnesota, 7 and 7 at 6. And the only change thus far, sitting at number 7, we have the Los Angeles Rams, 7 and 7. Now, there are quite a few teams still in the hunt, despite their record. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons and Green Bay are sitting at 10 and 11, respectively, in the conference with a record of 6 to 8, respectively, each. Not impossible for them to come back, but will definitely be tough if the teams that they're competing against continue to win. Atlanta's fighting for a wildcard spot and possibly a divisional title, whereas Green Bay is just fighting for the wildcard. No chance of a divisional. Now, sitting at 8 and 9, we have the Seahawks at 8 with a record of 7 and 7, only trying to battle for a wildcard as the San Francisco 49ers are one game away from locking the conference. And the New Orleans Saints also sitting at 7-7, seven and seven, battling for a wild card or the divisional spot. Now, as far as New Orleans and Atlanta, they both need to have a better record than Tampa in order to make the playoffs, as Tampa has the tiebreaker between both teams. As far as the wildcard hopefuls, Seattle is sitting at the absolute bottom of that list. Green Bay is a game behind, which is good for the Seahawks, because now they only have to compete with the LA Rams and the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings with Nick Mullins are serviceable, but are not a playoff caliber team at this point in time, and so it will be a bit of a struggle for Minneapolis to stay in the wild card spot. At best, I think they stay as a seven and Seattle doesn't get in at all, or they will very quickly fall off and it will be a battle between the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers for the seventh spot. As far as how I think it's going to play out, we'll have to wait and see, but this win against the Philadelphia Eagles is one of the most important wins for the Seattle Seahawks because now there's actually an opportunity for them to not only get the seven seed, but the six. Which, if that's the case, they'll want to try and go for the six to be able to play the Detroit Lions, whom they've already beaten. Rather than taking on Dallas, or, God forbid, the San Francisco 49ers. Looking at the AFC, things are... Actually, kind of similar. Baltimore still holding court in the one seed. Clinched a playoff spot. Beat Jacksonville in a game that could mean everything in terms of seed positioning. The Miami Dolphins rolled over the New York Jets. Still hold the second seed. Kansas City won what was more of a nail-biter than it should have been over the New England Patriots. As it stands, they do hold the third seed, and with Denver's loss to Detroit, get a little bit of breathing room in the AFC West. Jacksonville is in an absolute shit show called the AFC South. 
A lot of drama going on there. We'll touch on that. The Cleveland Browns sitting in the five seed as it stands, coming off a win against Chicago that was also way tighter than it should have been. Cincinnati Bengals moving up four spots to the sixth seed after beating Nick Mullins and the Minnesota Vikings. The Indianapolis Colts hold court in the seven seed. And this is where things get really, really fun. Right behind the Indianapolis Colts are the Houston Texans, who are only behind on tiebreaker. Behind them, the Buffalo Bills, who moved up two spots to the nine seed, and the 10th seed, the Pittsburgh Steelers, dropping four spots this past week and falling to seven and seven. A lot to unpack there, a lot of issues. I don't see them going anywhere. Mike Tomlin should maybe be fired. That's a whole different kettle of fish. If you thought the wild card spots in the NFC were in contention, nah, the AFC has a grand total of four teams sitting at eight and six right now. The six, seven, eight, and nine seed. The seven and eight seed, they're still trying to win their division. The nine seed, Buffalo, is trying to do the same thing. If they get a bit of luck, if Miami loses a couple games, things start to heat up a little bit more. Baltimore Ravens, they've got their playoff spot. They don't have the division, and they've got an important game this next week for both conferences. Miami needs a Baltimore loss for anything to happen. Miami does play Baltimore at the end of this season. Could end up being too little too late, ultimately. The Chiefs, like I said, they've got some breathing room now. They can coast a little bit more with that three seed. Jacksonville's got to be sweating. These next couple of weeks are going to be, oh, so entertaining for the playoffs. And I tell you, I'm really excited to see how things shake. And as always, everybody, thank you very much for listening. Um, we hope you enjoyed our ramblings uh, for C-Tits Week. But also, we wish you a very Merry Christmas. And before we ended things off, I figured it would be nice to end things with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, God, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. A man who died for our sins and a man who gave us nothing but love to try and teach us how to become better people. We can only hope to aspire to live the way that he did. And thank you for all the kindness and love that you've shown to us this year. Thank you for guiding us and helping us through all of our hardship. And of course, I'd like to end it on something a little bit more spiritual. Of course. And I know you'll probably join me in this one. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be, be thy, thy name, name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come, thy will, thy will be, be done, done on earth as it is in heaven. Give, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May God bless 
you and yours. I send that out as a blessing to everyone who's listened to us. Whether it be for the 16th time, for the first time, anywhere in between. We're very thankful. And we wish you a Merry Christmas. And until next time, guys. Bottoms up.